Coming up, the Stanley Cup playoffs are off to a resounding start. The NBA second round, eh, not so much. Baseball is approaching its first full month as we check in on what's happening in both the AL and NL. The NFL schedule will be released a week from today, but a few games have been leaked. I'll tell you why I'm not crazy about what I've seen so far. And the Kentucky Derby is Saturday, so I'll even touch on that. Back on the scene to share my thoughts, opinions, critiques, and analysis on everything that's happening in the world of sports. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits as always, as we get through the rest of the first week of this month of May. And obviously, you've come to the right spot to listen to everything that's happening in the world of sports, to get your fix in, to be informed, entertained, etc. As this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, whether from the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, even as early as Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Lots to get into here as the scene starts to shift when it comes to the world of sports. We know baseball is in full swing. We're just about a month in to the 162-game marathon. I know on Monday I touched on a couple of things, which I will do so today, but more so get a lay of the land here as we're just about a month in. I'll also talk about the Kentucky Derby, which that will kick off the first leg of the Triple Crown in Churchill Downs this coming Saturday. Not that I'm a horse racing expert, to say the least, but I can tell you who's going to be the favorites, a couple of horses to look out for. So I'll have that on tap for you later on, as well as what's happening with the NFL schedule, which I do not like. Of course, all these London games in particular. Well, actually, there's three in London, one in Germany, and then there is a game in Mexico. So those games have been leaked, as well as a couple of others, so I'll throw in my two cents on that. But as we get into both playoffs, the NBA and the Stanley Cup, and that's where I'm going to start here, because as I talked about on Monday, the Stanley Cup needed to get there just due, needed to get there half hour in. Yes, we've talked about hockey sporadically throughout the course of the last seven months or so, but now that we've ushered in these first few days, and for the hockey fan, I know they're rejoicing. We all know that 
any playoff, whether it's the NFL, even Major League Baseball, NBA, I know it hasn't been great so far. You've had some moments, and we'll touch on what's happening in the second round after this segment, but here we are right out of the gate where we have two games in from what took place on Monday and then last night, and then tonight you'll have the teams that played on Tuesday get their either series evened or take two zero series leads. So I'll touch on what took place last night and pretty much the Monday-Wednesday slate because when we take a look back, the one series that everybody, I'm sure, is focusing in on is Tampa Bay and Toronto, and we saw what happened there Monday night to where Toronto just blew the doors off of the Lightning in probably their worst playoff game in years where not only were they shut out, but they were just outplayed. They were out physical pretty much from the start to where Kyle Clifford was suspended in last night's game after that hit on Ross Colton pretty much in the opening moments of the game. And it was a nasty hit from behind right into the boards. Colton could have seriously gotten hurt. And for what took place there, he got suspended. But with Austin Matthews scoring a couple of goals, Mitch Barner also chipped in 5 nothing, and the Toronto Maple Leaf fan, I'm sure, were flying high and the... Thunder and, dare I say, Lightning, not only throughout the team, but I'm sure the fan base down in the panhandle were probably wondering, "Uh uh-oh, this may not be our series. We may not get back to a third cup and try to win one for the first time in almost 40 years. But that made amends last night behind Victor Hedman with his one goal and three assists. And now if you're the Maple Leafs and their fan base, they got to be wondering with the series shifting back to Tampa, Are they going to come home with a split? Are they going to come home down 3-1? You would think that they're not going to come back with a 3-1 series lead. And I'm talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs for that matter. So I'm sure all the buzz in Toronto is about how the Maple Leafs are going to navigate themselves through this series. Considering what took place not only on Monday night, thinking that they were riding high, flying high to the point where, is it going to be a cakewalk? Not in the least. But you figure that these games are going to be competitive They are the defending two-time Stanley Cup champions, but now you have to wonder whether or not Toronto, based on their playoff history and the snakes that I'm sure are in the players' head to a certain degree. I know they'll downplay it. I know they'll say, hey, the series is even. We just got to steal one game in Tampa. But they are the Lightning, and they are who they are for a reason. And with that guy in goal, Andre Vasilevsky, and terrible game one, And yesterday, for him to give up three goals, it's almost like if he gave up 30. So he has not had a great series to date. But friendly confines, fans in their building, I'm sure they're going to be juiced up, ready to go, come tomorrow night. And we'll have to wait and see how the Maple Leafs are going to withstand that pressure, knowing that they need a split in the worst way. And it'll be fascinating that if the Lightning do win game three, what is the mindset and even the mental and psychological makeup of this team the Maple Leafs going into a game four if they're down two games to one. That's going to be one to look at. Now, if they do win game three, it's house money for them in game four. That's not to say that they could just give it up right away. That's not to say that they'll just lay down and take the series back to Toronto, knowing that's a best of three with both games in their building. I'm sure that's not going to be the take from the players if they do win a game three, but you do have to wonder if they do happen to lose this upcoming game, What does that mean for their team, coach, organization, knowing that that's probably going to be the biggest playoff game that they'll face in many years? 
And yes, you could say Game 7 against Montreal last year, considering they were up 3-1, and we know what happened after that. But that's going to be one series that everybody's going to look forward to. So that's number one. Boston-Carolina, what could you say? Carolina, although they had those three goals there late to stretch the game from 2-1 to 5-1, Carolina is clicking on all cylinders right now. The Bruins, they're just probably happy to get out of the Carolinas to get back home. Obviously, no harm, no foul, considering that it's been chalk. So unless Carolina wins one of the next two up in Boston, you could pretty much put the Bruins out the pasture here in this postseason because they have certainly fallen short and have not played well here to get out of the gate in their opening round series against the Hurricanes. St. Louis and Minnesota, after the 4-0 shutout in Game 1, where I'm sure a lot of the Wild fan, including my guy Headstyle in Minneapolis, was probably wondering, oh, geez, this is going to be an uphill battle. We know Game 1s could be so overblown to the point where you're going to start wondering whether or not your team is going to get out of this series alive. And what we saw there last night, back in Minneapolis for Game 2, Kirill Kaprizov, hat-trick, 6-2 win, rocking chair type game as the series shifts to St. Louis. So I'm sure all is right in the world there in the Twin Cities. We talked about it the other day. It's going to be a competitive series. You think it's going to be a long series, probably seven games. I picked a while to win in seven, and I could see it going in that direction. Then you had the Kings hang on to win a game one, four to three, which made you wonder, oh boy, here we go again with the Edmonton Oilers. Similar to Toronto in this regard. Now granted, they don't have anywhere near the recent playoff history And we know Edmonton, how great they were in the 80s and the early 90s as they won five of seven cups. And Toronto, they are Canada when it comes to hockey. Yes, you could say the Montreal Canadiens, obviously, they're the Yankees of hockey. But Toronto, we know it's been so long since they won a cup. We know the history. We know everything about what the Maple Leafs are and, of course, that city and what they mean to that city. In fact, the Hall of Fame is in Toronto. But for Edmonton, knowing that they had this generational player and that they needed to bounce back in the worst way, and they certainly did so last night with a 6-0 shutout over the Kings, Evander Kane, remember him? A couple of goals in his back pocket. Leon Sadel also chipped in with a goal as now the location goes from chilly Edmonton to sunny Los Angeles, and we'll see how that series will unfold. And that's the one thing about this postseason is that you have only three days in And when we take a look at what happened Tuesday night, as I'll get to my big picture, the big game there was Washington beating Florida 4-2 to where the Capitals got three goals in the third period. We know that the Panther defense isn't going to be confused with any of the teams of the past, a la the Devils. Now, we understand we're going back to the neutral zone trap, which was a different game at that time, but they're not going to be confused with any of those type of teams of yesteryear. But for the Panthers... To go down 0-1 with the big regular season that they had and was one of the storylines I talked about there on Monday's podcast, you have to wonder, is there a little pressure in that locker room knowing that they have to win that game in order to go back to D.C. with the split as opposed to being down 0-2? Now, one of the trends that we've seen here is that teams that should have won the first game, whether we look at the Edmonton-LA series, them losing that game, and then bouncing back to win 6-0. To a certain extent, and not on that degree, but with Tampa getting blown out in game one, how they responded, not only with a victory, but 5-3, and everything's right in the world for the Lightning. Same with St. Louis and Minnesota. 
I understand that's an evenly matched series, but with St. Louis shutting them out in their building, how are they going to respond? They responded with a 6-2 win. We understand that the Bruins obviously didn't get that memo, but when we look at the theme here so far this first round, you wonder if the Panthers are just going to come all systems go and ready to fly out on that ice tonight to the point where they end up winning a 5-2, nothing type game. If there's going to be a trend, I could possibly see that tonight, and I'd be shocked if they go to D.C. down 0-2. And you could say the same for the Rangers, to where they had a game that go into triple overtime. You wonder if that's going to be a type of series where it's going to be long and with a bunch of overtimes in their future. And that game was just bizarre on many fronts to where the third string goalie had to come to the game because Casey DeSmith had to leave with a what seemed to be a lower body injury. So you had Louis Deming have to go in there and face 17 shots, 17 saves from the second overtime on. But it was an Evgeny Malkin deflection five and a half minutes into the third overtime to get the Penguins on the board and take a one nothing lead. So you wonder if the Rangers tonight will have that game where they'll just cruise to a 4-1, 4-2 type of victory. Then you have Colorado. Talk about a team that came out all systems go. Five goals in the first period. Nashville didn't know what hit them. You could pretty much say it was an avalanche. No pun intended. Or maybe in this case, pun intended. As they came fast and furious at the Predators. And you wonder if the Predators are going to have a bounce back. Now, mind you, Colorado was heavily favored in this series. So even if Nashville were to steal game two tonight, that would be a surprise. So as we talked about this theme where teams that have had bad game ones, but teams that were expected to win. We know Nashville wasn't expected to win this series. So when we look at the Florida Panthers, when we look at even the Rangers, when we look at the Edmonton Oilers, those are teams that were you would think would have had a leg up in the opening game of their series. And that wasn't the case, but they bounced back nicely. But with Colorado, you would think it's going to be Stanley Cup or bust, and they certainly played like that in the opening night. And then Calgary wins one nothing over the Dallas Stars in a game early on where the goal about five and a half minutes into the game by Elias Lindholm and that proved to be the only goal that the Flames needed where Jacob Markstrom was able to get the shutout and one thing about this game and I'll also daisy chain that to the Tampa Toronto game of game one at the end of that first period there on Tuesday night where we had a little bit of a skirmish between Matt Kachuk and John Klingberg as he hit him toward the end of the period. He went falling to the ice. And then Michael Raffle on Dallas wanted to get in the face of Matt Kachuk, knowing that he had hit his player to the ice. So they engaged in a fight there right at the horn at the end of the first period. So Raffle and Kachuk go at it. And then just... Seconds later, where Klingberg went to Rasmus Anderson and he gave him a bit of a cross-check. Next thing you know, he dropped his gloves. Anderson didn't engage or didn't oblige. And then a couple of seconds later, Anderson did oblige and they went at it to the point where they were both tossed from the game because that was the second fight in that melee, which I get it. The NHL wants to curtail fighting. They don't want to have excessiveness when it comes to violence on the ice, especially when it comes to fighting. It's okay to cross-check somebody. It's okay to 
take a whack at somebody, a slash, a spear, and of course they're going to be penalized for that, but it's almost as if the NHL would rather have that and for the players to police themselves as opposed to having either a line brawl or numerous brawls at one time or dare I even say, God forbid, a bench-clearing brawl. We know those days are long gone. And the problem that I have is it's playoff hockey, tempers are going to flare, tension is going to be at its all-time high, even if it is a game one. So you know what? Let them go. Why have them be tossed out of the game? You want to give them 10-minute misconducts? Okay, fine. Because they were the second fight. But to have a game misconduct, I mean, please. This game isn't 30, 35 years ago to where you had to worry whether or not Anderson and Klingberg were going to get at it with each other in the second or third period. And if they did, so what? That's the problem that I have. Leave it alone. Let them hash it out. It's not as if, and trust me, I wish this was the case, but it's not as if you had two or three resident tough guys on each team where they'll end up settling the score, which I understand that's why the sport got rid of that element because the enforcer is pretty much an endangered species in the National Hockey League. And that is going to lead me to what happened in Game 1 with Tampa and Toronto because as the game got late and tempers flared in the third period to where you got a bunch of fighting majors and game misconducts. I know Pat Maroon was swinging at people and you had a melee and players and gloves littered all over the ice. To me, nothing wrong with that. I love it. But again, you have guys that are on the ice that don't fight. You have guys that are on the ice that are novices when it comes to this. And yes, they're going to police themselves, but only to a certain degree. So when we watch something like that unfold, yes, to the regular average hockey fan, they may get crazy. And we know that nobody's going to boo when a fight takes place on the ice. In fact, everybody stands up and cheers. Yes, they may boo the opposing player or the opposing team, but not to the extent where people are going to avert their eyes or run to the exits or go to the concession stand because, oh, a fight broke out. This is deplorable. I can't watch this. Are you nuts? Half the people in the building look forward to players going at it on the ice. That's been the makeup and the fabric of the game for so many years. And to the hockey fan today, that's 30 and under, they're going to look at that and, oh my, they're ruining the game. It's a black eye. It's this, it's that. And they don't know what they're talking about, so they need to pipe down. And yeah, they can say, Jay Reels, well, you don't watch hockey as much as I do. You're just an old man. Get off my lawn. Okay, is that right? I'll be the first one to say it. But when you've seen how the game was many years ago compared to today, and yes, you could say there may be improvements in that regard. And all right, I'll even give you that, to be fair. But when we look at what happened there on the ice with Tampa and Toronto and then even Dallas and Calgary, and you're going to look at that as absurd, then I guess you didn't watch some of the games going back. Playoff games. Forget about regular season. Playoff games. The Good Friday Massacre. The brawl in Montreal, which the anniversary of that is May 14th. Actually, be 35 years. And you know I'm going to talk about that next week at some point. All the classic brawls and what took place in the... And this is playoff hockey. I'm not even talking regular season. So maybe they go need to take a little bit of a history lesson to find out what hockey was like then. And even though it's a far cry to what it is now. But yes, educate yourselves, my guys. And gals for that matter. Can't leave them out. So that's what we have here this opening round. And it's definitely been entertaining. 
And tonight, let me see if I covered everything. Yes, Dallas, Calgary, and I talked about the games last night. And you have Pittsburgh and New York tonight. Games will be on TNT, TBS, Washington, Florida, Nashville, Colorado, Dallas, Calgary. And of course, we'll lead into the weekend with more games as they alternate the four games from the teams that played Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and into the weekend, as well as Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, etc. All right, as far as the NBA second round goes, not a lot of drama, a lot of theater. We could pretty much say Philly, Miami, and even Dallas, Phoenix. We could just put those series out the pasture because there really isn't much to discuss. I'll start with Philly, Miami. They lose 119-103 last night. And, of course, they also lost 106-92 a couple nights before that. Without Joel Embiid, these Sixers have no chance, no shot. James Harden has not played well. And we could talk about the hamstring, and we could talk about his health as far as him being in shape, etc. But he is not the same player. And that is not a breaking news story by any stretch. But we talked about James Harden on Monday to where this was going to be not necessarily a series-defining moment for him, but knowing that we may not see Embiid till Game 4, if at any game this series, depending on how long it goes, if Harden was going to be in good graces, not only with the front office, but also with the fans, he had to play close to the James Harden that we've seen, especially in Houston. Because obviously last year, him getting traded to Brooklyn in midseason and not performing well in the postseason due to that hamstring. And we know about his exploits throughout the course of this year and what he's done pretty much in Philadelphia since the trade. So we thought that if Harden could be even 75% of what he was in Houston, maybe the Philadelphia fan could say, all right, he gave it his all. He did play well. He put up a ton of points. And if they're going to sign him to that $225 million extension, that yes, we're going to be ready to go to battle next year with a 100% and hopefully laser-focused James Harden, even with all the miles on his body, but with he, Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, that now they could go for their shot for a championship. And as it is right now, if you're a Sixer fan, you have to say to yourself, there's no way that you want this guy on your team. But you know what's going to happen? If Doc Rivers survives this, then that's going to be a leg up on whether or not Harden comes back because if Rivers is out, and with all the rumors about Mike D'Antoni, his former coach in Houston coming in, tie that with the GM who's Daryl Morey, obviously the GM in Houston during their tenure with Harden and D'Antoni, then it's going to be a love fest for these three guys to reconvene and then try to push forward for the championship, the process that was developed by former GM Sam Hinkie to where it's going to be those four players that I mentioned just a couple of seconds ago. But I don't want to make this all about Harden because it's not. It's about Embiid not being there, and what could you say? He has a concussion, the orbital fracture. They're going to take precaution. We know concussions in sports, going back to the NFL, that it's not to be played with. And as it is, the Heat are often flying, even without Kyle Lowry, and... They look like they're going to cruise to maybe a, I would say, a five-game series. I'll give the Sixers one game without him beating the lineup. You figure home cooking, maybe Harden gets a little bit of magic in his step and in his hands and his dribble, etc. And you would think that this will probably be a five-game series unless Embiid comes back in one of the next two games. And as far as Dallas and Phoenix, 
uh, what could you say? It's all Luca. Even Jason Kidd is saying this can't be all on his shoulders. And the Phoenix Suns, who had a little bit of a scare, minor scare in the first round against the Pelicans, now looks like they're going to be on their way to a conference final. And there really isn't much to discuss there. I wish there was. I wish we could kind of break into some moments in the tail ends of some of these games between both of these teams, but there really isn't anything to discuss. As far as the other two series go, the Celtics bounce back from that awful game one. All you got to do is look at the first half for a one Jalen Brown. He was 9 for 10 from the field, 5 for 5 from 3, 25 points, and they never looked back. They were up 65-40. They cruise into that third game, which will be played on Saturday. So you got to wait pretty much half a week before these two teams play again. But with he, Jason Tatum scoring 29, and then Grant Williams, 21 points off the bench, 6 for 9 from 3. All is right in Beantown as the Celtics even that series. And as I said on Monday, this is going to be a long series, you would think. Celtics just need to get one game in Milwaukee. One of the next two, that is. And then we'll see where the series goes from there. I think that Milwaukee will probably come out like gangbusters considering they played like crap the other night. Giannis had an awful first half and just had a terrible game overall. He did have 28 points, but it was on 27 shots. And Drew Holiday did not have the carbon copy of game one that he had in game two. So you would think in their building, Bobby Portis and a lot of the role players on that team, the Pat Connaughton's of the world, you figure that they'll step their game up and have a better performance. So we'll have to wait and see on that. And then Golden State and Memphis, now you have a little chippiness here to add to what happened in game one in those closing seconds that we talked about with John Morant. Morant puts up 47-8-8 on Tuesday night, 18 points in the fourth quarter. You had some chippiness early on. The opening moments of the game where Xavier Tillman elbows Draymond Green to where he had to go to the locker room to get stitches. His eyes started to become swollen. And then in the postgame, which I'll get to Draymond in a minute, but with he out, and of course, he was ejected in game one for what took place there, which I thought that it shouldn't have been an ejection. It shouldn't have been a flagrant two. But then you had the scenario later on to where Gary Payton, the second on a drive to the basket, gets knocked to the court by Dylan Brooks. And yes, it was a brutal attempt at a foul. You could say he was trying to go for the ball, but he was nowhere near the ball and instead got his head. Kind of reminded me of a play many years ago. I know fans aren't going to remember this. But Benoit Benjamin, who I forgot who it was, was Jerome Kersey, I think it was, where he just literally clotheslined him. And I guess for somebody who could remember this, Kurt Rambis, Kevin McHale, game four. It was pretty much a borderline clothesline by Dylan Brooks. But Peyton goes to the court, crumbles behind the basketball stanchion, and then he just lays there to where Brooks looked like he wanted to try to at least apologize. He did approach him, and then he stepped back. And Steve Kerr in the postgame said that he broke the code. And it's tough for Steve Kerr to say that when he has a player on his team who's always breaking the code, whether it's against LeBron in the finals, Steven Adams. We've seen all the antics about Draymond Green on the court. And then, of course, what took place there off the court as he was walking to the locker room, flipping the bird. I guess that's become fashion here this postseason, whether your name is Kyrie Irving, now Draymond Green. And then his comments in the postgame saying that, yeah, they're cheering me. As I'm hurt, I could be concussed, I could be this, I could be that. Don't they know, I don't care about having to pay for a fine, I make $25 million a year. Draymond, you need to pipe down. Seriously, nobody cares how much you make. 
And I'm sure we probably know how much you do make considering that once players get signed, we know the terms of their contracts, the length of years, etc. So for him to bring that up again was just nonsense. And I know that Draymond Green is a fiery player. He's been an overachiever throughout his whole career. He's been that underdog type mentality, second round pick. So many teams overlooked him, had that chip on his shoulder. Totally get it. And that's what makes him unique. And I even respect that. But when you flip the bird and when you make it about your contract or how much you make a year, when it comes to you versus the fans, that's a battle you're going to lose. And granted, it's not your home fans where that's absolutely a no-no to go against your own home crowd. So it was the crowd of Memphis, and then you're egging them on and walking off the court, same like you did the other day, looking like Antonio Brown without taking the jersey off, where you're just trying to egg the fan base and trying to incite the crowd to just go bananas and say whatever it is that they want to say toward you, which doesn't make it right, because they shouldn't say anything super personal toward you. But to hear that from him, again, Time after time, whether it's with the officials, whether it's with other players, the fans, it's a tiresome act. And quite frankly, I had enough. And I know I posted this on my TikTok where I came out and said that he's a poor man's Dennis Rodman, and he is. But if you had asked me who would I rather have on the team, and I get it that Draymond is a better offensive player than Rodman is, and that's not by much. Yes, he can make an occasional three. And yes, of course, he's going to have his garbage baskets underneath at times. But when you talk about the rebounder and the defender, and granted that Draymond is a great defensive player. But if you're going to ask me who would I rather have as the intangible player, and I'm just talking about on the court. Forget about Rodman off the court and his antics, and we know what Dennis Rodman was like during his playing days. Partying, hanging out, wants to go to Vegas for 48 hours in the middle of the season. I get that you have to factor that in, but let's just for now, for argument's sake, take that out. Who would you rather have on your team, Dennis Rodman or Draymond Green? To me, it's not even close. So now we have to wonder whether or not Memphis is going to have what it takes to split in Golden State. I think if the Warriors do take the next two, it's going to be an uphill battle for Memphis. I would think that Memphis will probably survive and get back to Memphis tied at two. I hope that that's the case. We want to see long series. We think Milwaukee and Boston will be that. And the NBA needs to have that second series because Philly, Miami, Dallas, Phoenix, I don't care if Philly wins 150 to 70 tomorrow night. And the same for Dallas. They could blow Phoenix's doors open and run them out of the gym. They still have to come back and win a game four, which I don't think they will. So that's your NBA second round to date. So we just hope for longer series with Golden State, Memphis, Milwaukee, Boston, because we're not going to get that with the other two series. All right, now to turn my attention to baseball as we're just a couple days away from actually being one month already into this baseball season. When you think about it, it was four weeks ago today where we were able to raise the curtain on this 2022 baseball season that was delayed, of course, by a week. And to kind of take a lay of the land here, I know I didn't really get into standings and things of that nature on Monday, so I figured I'd give you a little overview of what's taking place to date. Pretty much more from a surprises and disappointments as we approach this first month. 
And I understand for some people are going to say, oh, Jay Reels, you're really going to start here when it comes to this? Because this team was expected to do big things. I didn't expect 18-9, to be quite honest with you, especially without their star pitcher and two-time Cy Young Award winner, Jacob DeGrom. But at 18-9, where to date, one month in, just about, the Mets have not lost a series. Yes, they split a series with the Braves here over the course of this week, where the Braves won on the getaway day 9-2 after the Mets swept that doubleheader there on Tuesday. And so far, it's been above and beyond what I've ever expected and imagined, but I did mention, I believe in last week's podcast, last Thursday, I'm not so geeked up to the point where, yes, start printing up those playoff tickets, because if you've listened to me over the years, you know that there's always going to be that cynical and jaded Met fan in me that's going to think about when the other shoe's going to drop. And I'm not going to say that it is this year, but I'm proceeding with caution. I'll just leave it at that. But also, when it comes to surprises, I can't even say the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays were expected to do big things. And the only reason why I said the Mets people, I'll go back to them real quick, is because no DeGrom, the lineup, they have not been shut out yet. And even though they've been a steady lineup, but they're not spectacular, especially when you look at the division, the Braves are the defending champs. The Phillies have a killer lineup. And... We can't really look at the Nationals or the Marlins for that matter, although the Marlins have pitched well and have actually played well despite getting swept here against Arizona the past three days. But 18-9, if you would have asked me that on April 7th, I would have been like, no, you got to be off your rocker. I would have been happy with 27 games, if I do the math, 15-12. and 12. So if you would have told me that, I would have been ecstatic. So you can imagine how I feel knowing that they're 18-9 and nine, and they have a just a three game in the loss, but four and a half in the division this early part over the Marlins. Now, as far as other teams that have been a surprise, can you say the Anaheim Angels as they've gotten off to a 16 and 10 start? I know a lot of people looked at them as a trendy pick that you figured they were bound to turn things around considering Shohei Otani's MVP year last year, Mike Trout 100% healthy. They bring in Noah Syndergaard. They try to mix and match there with their rotation. And they've gotten off to a very good start. Is it sustainable? That we'll have to wait and see. We all know it's a a marathon. If we looked at these seasons by 20, 25 game clips and know that we could put those in the bank to say this is going to be good for certain teams in the long run, great. But we all know you can't put baseball in that type of box. It's not the NFL where a team goes 3-1 and and you think that after the first quarter of the year, they may end up being 12-4, and 11-5, and 10-6, or at least the old schedule. Now it's 17 games. But you get what I'm saying. Baseball, you can't look at it that way. Same for the NBA or NHL. But the Angels, I'd have to say it's been a bit of a surprise because they've just been awful for so many years. And for them to get off to a good start, that's great. So those are the teams because you can maybe even look at the Twins, but they've done a lot this offseason for them to put themselves in a position where they're at first place. Here at 15 and 10. So there hasn't been that big surprise. Brewers, Cardinals, maybe the Rockies, you want to say, have been a surprise. We could throw them in the mix here in this first month. I guess you could say that. And they have decent starting pitching. And I haven't really followed the Rockies, so I don't even know how Chris Bryant has done to date. But give them some kudos for the start that they've gotten off to. As far as disappointments are concerned, You have to start with the Braves 
12 and 15, and you could say, well, Jay Reels, they got off to a terrible start last year, and look what happened at the end of the day. All right, I'll give you that, but considering what they've done in the offseason, they bring in Matt Olson, and he's gotten off to a very good start. They just got Ronald Acuna back. They're starting pitching, although it's not healthy 100% with Mike Soroka still coming back from his injuries, but they have a very good staff with Ian Anderson, Kyle Wright, Max Freed, and they still haven't been able to get on track here in the early part of the season. So I have to give them a bit of a disappointment. Same for the Phillies. And you got to wonder if Joe Girardi is going to be in any kind of trouble there because this is year three. All right, year one, you throw out the window because of COVID. Year two, a little bit better. And even with the pieces that they brought in, whether it's Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, even the bullpen with Brad Hand and Jeru's Familia, all right, those guys are retreads, but it's still an improvement on what they've had over the last couple of years. And here they are at 11-14. and 14, And they have a big series with the Mets. Four games this weekend in Philadelphia starting tonight. They have to win minimum three games. If the Mets end up winning three of the four, winning the series, if they get swept, then you know it's going to be DEFCON 1 in the city of brotherly love when it comes to that team. I'm sure the front office is going to start to wonder, and you know the fan base, they're just going to go bonkers. So that's one team that we're certainly going to have to look at, especially after this weekend, to see where they stand and how they play the Mets over the course of the next four days. The White Sox obviously have gotten off to a terrible start, and a lot of people thought that they were going to have a big team in a big year, considering they made it to the playoffs and won a division last year. And even though they've won three in a row, but look at that. They had to win three in a row to get to a point where they're two games on the 500. So that just tells you where they're at. Can you say the Red Sox to a certain extent? Yes, only because they made it to an ALCS last year against the Astros. And we know their bullpen has just been a disaster and their starting pitching hasn't been great. Trevor Story's gotten off to a terrible start. So the Red Sox are navigating some tenuous ground right about now when it comes to not only just that division, as we know it's loaded with the Yankees, Blue Jays, even Tampa, quietly at 15-10. and 10, But they could certainly lose some major ground not just in the division as it is right now, but also in the wild card. And it's way too early to even talk about this. But we know that when we get to the first month of the season, we could kind of get an idea or sense for teams where they're going to be trending. And I get it. There are certain instances where certain teams may buck those trends, a la the 2019 Washington Nationals. If you remember, after 50 games, they were 19-31. and 31. And how did their season end up? So there are examples of teams that can turn their seasons around just like the Nationals did that year and even the Braves last year for that matter. Two-thirds of the season, I believe they were a game under 500 going into August. And look what happened. But sometimes there's just a certain feel. There's just a certain aura about a team where they get off to just such a bad start that you wonder if they're ever going to get their season on track. And with some of these teams, I'm not saying that the Braves aren't or even the Phillies, but Now they're getting to a point where things aren't looking great. And if they don't turn it around soon, their seasons could be done to the point where they may be trading off pieces sometime in the middle of July. And here we are already in the first week of May. So this is why we're taking this little overview of what Major League Baseball, almost one month in, as to where these teams may be going or coming as we get into the middle of this month and then obviously looking forward toward a Memorial Day where we'll even have a better 
feel and understanding of where these teams will be at as we get to the third point or one-third of the way into this baseball season. One other quick thing I have to mention as far as baseball, I know the Mets DFA'd Robinson Cano and he goes, oh, Jay Reels with the Mets again. The only reason why I bring it up is because he has two years left and I believe $37.5 million. And we all know that if the Wilpons were the owners of this team, we would have to watch Robinson Cano over and over and over throughout the course of this year until the Mets had no choice, which probably would have been somewhere at the halfway point of next season in order for them to cut bait. But this is what happens when you have an owner like Steve Cohen who wants to win and has billions and billions of dollars that he could cut bait at $37.5 million and say, on to the next. And unfortunately, he did the right thing and Cano was the good teammate to say, I respect their decision, thanks for the ride, and why not? He's still going to get paid $37.5 million and whether another team's going to pick him up remains to be seen at 39 years of age. Chances are he'll probably be at DH somewhere, obviously either in the AL or NL if they feel that they could strike lightning in a bottle. But Cano, we may have seen his, the last of him here in a New York uniform or in any uniform for that matter. But I just had to put out the whole Wilpon Steve Cohen dynamic to the point where us Met fans would have had to be bleary eyed to watch number 24 out there for probably at least another year and a couple of months to know that he is not on the team, that the luxury of being able to have an owner to say bye-bye, thank heavens for that. All right, now before I get into the NFL schedule, which is not going to be released until a week from today, and I'm sure you're going to get a few more leaks then, although the actual uncovering of the schedule won't be until primetime, Now it's a big event where ESPN, whatever, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, or ESPN 2, whatever it is, where they're going to pretty much go week by week, which to me is a bit of a joke, but I get it, it is the NFL. But just a little housekeeping prior to that, you had Tyron Matthew sign with the Saints early in the week, I believe three years, $33 million, as he goes back to the place where he played in college, I believe he's actually from Louisiana, and... It comes full circle for the former Honey Badger. Remember, of course, he played his college ball at LSU, and we understand he's bounced around the NFL. Arizona, Houston was a champion in Kansas City. So now he goes back home with the Saints, who needed secondary help in the worst way. Remember, they lost Marcus Williams early on due to free agency, as well as the retirement for Malcolm Jenkins. But then they also signed another Marcus, Marcus May, the former Jet Safety. So with he and Tyron Matthew, at least there's some stability in their secondary as they get ready for OTAs in the coming weeks. As far as Ryan Tannehill goes, he announced, or I should say, had stated in one of his early interviews in camp about how he was in a dark place after that loss to the Bengals in the divisional round to where, yeah, there was just a lot of bad thoughts. Felt as if everything was on him. And had to go through a lot of counseling, and I'm sure is still doing so, which is very courageous of him. And I can only imagine. You're a one seed, 11-5. and You have the AFC have to go through your city and your stadium to get to a Super Bowl. And then in the opening round, put up a clunker. Or really in the divisional round, but the opening round for the Titans as they had to buy. And he was awful in the game. No ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. And having to deal with that the days after, and I'm sure the weeks, and now the few months that have 
gone by for him to have to process all that, to have to sort all that out, regurgitate it, etc. And you can only hope for him moving forward that brighter days and better days would lie for the embattled quarterback. And knowing that they just drafted Malik Willis there in the third round, you got to wonder if he's going to have to look over his shoulder. Granted, he's going to get two more years and big time money. And we know the NFL is a cutthroat business. So not to say Malik Willis is going to be anointed the starter if Tannehill goes backwards and Willis has this camp from the football gods. But that was just a poignant and very sobering detailed recollection of what he's had to go through this offseason. And for him to come out and say that says a lot about him, the character, etc. Where I'm sure a lot of the players, they just try to either mask it or would try to just do their best to medicate themselves in a certain way. I'm not trying to insinuate that a lot of these athletes, and in this case NFL players, do that. But again, I give kudos for Tannehill for coming out and sharing his story about what his offseason has been like to date. Now, as far as the schedule goes, last week during the draft, they announced that the second Thursday night game was going to be the Chargers at Kansas City, and we all know Amazon is going to have those games every Thursday night, and this schedule, I know it's going to be highly anticipated because you have the three games on Christmas Day that people are going to look forward to and wonder what those games are going to be about. We always look forward to the Thanksgiving Day games to see what the, we know Detroit and Dallas are going to be the home teams, but also what the NBC game, the Thursday night capper on Thursday night, what that's going to be. We also look forward to the Saturday schedule in those last couple of weeks of the NFL season. Obviously, the opening week slate, we always like to look at who the Rams or the current reigning champions, who they're going to play on that first Thursday night. I think it's going to be Buffalo. It's easy to say maybe San Francisco, a divisional foe, but I think they want to probably go with the team that's going to probably take the next step or you would think is going to take the next step in Buffalo, have them match up against the Rams, and I understand that that would take away from CBS because more often than not, that could be your 425 Sunday in October Bills at Rams. I'm going to take a guess it's that. It could be Denver as the AFC West will play the NFC West. You may see a Denver and LA Ram matchup there on that first game. I'm going to say Buffalo. Because the NFC has the extra home game with the 17 games. Last year, the AFC had the extra home game. So we'll see when it's all unveiled next Thursday night. But with the games overseas and the one game in Mexico, as you well know, I can't stand the London games. I don't care about waking up at 9 o'clock to see Jacksonville play or when we take a look at the NFL schedule landscape. October 2nd, Minnesota at New Orleans. In London, I believe in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Followed by the Giants and Green Bay, who have never played in London. In fact, they're the last team standing when it comes to playing overseas. So you have Aaron Rodgers, which who knows what kind of dynamic that's going to bring to the London faithful. Or if the Cheeseheads are going to fly out there to witness that game. As well as maybe some of the New York fans if they want to take a week in London to go see their team play. That remains to be seen. But that's going to be the week after on October 9th. Then on the 30th in Wembley Stadium, you have Denver and Jacksonville. You also have a game in Germany, Seattle at Tampa. 
I believe Tampa is the home team on, again, November 13th in Germany. I believe it's in Munich. And then on the 21st, San Francisco at Arizona, which will be played in Mexico. These games I could care less about. And even if my team played, where Pittsburgh did play in 2013 against Minnesota, and in a game that the Steelers lost, it just has a weird feel. It just it almost doesn't even feel like an NFL game. Yes, of course it is. We know the teams. We know the players. It's just the environment, the optics. It just has a totally different feel. And I don't know why the NFL keeps going back to London, trying to expand and make this game global. It is not a global game. I wish they didn't do this. I understand why. It all boils down to the almighty dollar. And you just want the games just to be played and over with and that's it. That's how I feel. Because I do not wake up extra early. I don't even care half the times when I look at the score of a game like, what? Oh yeah, that's right. It's the London game. And even if my team was playing, I still wouldn't have the same fervor. Would I pay a little bit more attention, of course, but uh, I just wish they would do away with these games and bring it back to the states where it belongs. You want to have the game in Mexico? All right, maybe Mexico. But even still, Keep it here. Nobody cares overseas. Nobody cares in London, Germany, Tokyo. It doesn't matter. Keep it as it is. The old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And then lastly, we have the Derby on Saturday where, again, I'm not the expert, so I'm certainly not going to be the guy that knows what's going on and what's happening. But the one thing I will say is your favorite for the betting person out there Zandon is your horse, or maybe Zandon is the favorite here at 3-1, to one, and we'll have the 10th position right out of the gate. We all know 20 horses will be lined up there. Epicenter is another favorite there at 7-2, to two, which will be in the third slot. Messier at 8-1, to one, another horse that I'm sure a lot of people will maybe look at to be a horse that could come out and be victorious. Other than that, you have a lot of 20 and 30 to 1s. I know Mo Donegal is a 10 to 1 horse, which will be in the number 1 slot. Taiba, 12 to 1. If you're looking for the long shots, and there are quite a few of them here, Tis the Bomb, Barber Road, Classic Causeway, Tony Port, Ethereal Road, all at 30 to 1. Summer's Tomorrow, Happy Jack, those are 30 to 1 horses. So I don't think we could expect much out of those horses coming out, but it is the first. Of the Triple Crown, almost the beginning of summer, when you look at the pomp and circumstance of the setting, hopefully it's a sunny, I don't know what the weather's going to be like, but hopefully it's sunny with a beautiful backdrop. You know, everybody's going to come out between the entertainers, the athletes, the Tom Brady's of the world. You're going to see all the garb, the spring gear, the derby hats, the suits, you name it, as I'm sure you're probably going to get the building packed to the gills. Coming out of COVID. So we'll take a look at that Saturday. I believe what? Somewhere around 20 to 7. NBC usually has the event. So come Monday, we'll take a look and see how this all unfolded. I'm not a horse racing guy. To me, it's Neanderthal. I hate to say it that way. And especially from what you've seen here over the last few years of what's gone on in Santa Ana and all these horses that. I wish I was kidding when I say this, being put out the pasture and just the treatment of these horses, it's it's awful. There's no other way to cut it, slice it, and even though this is, I believe, the 148th version of this race, but considering that this is a 19th century sport in a 21st century world, I'm sure 
even with tradition as it is, it just doesn't have the same feel or appeal that it probably had 50 years ago, let 100 years ago, but of course it is a part of Americana and it is sport, so it's something that I'm going to bring up here on the podcast. And with that being said, people, that will conclude this version of the podcast. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for giving your boy a listen. I'm sure you get your sports from various outlets and from people that are a lot more a household name than I am. So for you to take the time out of your day means a lot. Your participation certainly does not get taken for granted. And speaking of participation, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. All that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there so I could get Jay Reels to be a household name out there. So if you could do that, I would sincerely appreciate it. If you want to hit me up, you could do so on any of my social media accounts, TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One Just a Number, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, criticism, praise, suggestions, whatever it may be, hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, not only would I be humbly and sincerely appreciative of that gesture, hopefully down the road as I start to get a bit of a following there. I'll put some exclusive content just for my Patreon followers as I put every red cent toward the production of this podcast, the website, equipment, etc. Because I want this experience for you guys and gals to be just as good as if you you were to get your podcast from the top dogs in the sports podcast realm. I've been doing this four plus years and I've been doing sports talk for many years and I'm not going anywhere. Because whether you do or do not know, it's in the blood, it's in the DNA, this is what I love to talk about, this is what I love to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, my passion, my fire on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. An early happy Mother's Day to all out there this coming Sunday. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>